Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, just three verses tonight. Uh, I have chosen these because I have a confession. The confession is that with all the study that I have done in God's Word, and it's been a long time, many years of study, there are portions of God's Word that still trouble me. I can read commentaries, and I know what others have said. I have heard sermons. I have given sermons myself. But there are still portions of the Word that trouble me because I do not think that I have adequate answers to the issues that were presented in that particular portion. And this is one of those. So, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the beautiful pride, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Blessed Lord, as you are in our midst tonight and we are gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray that as the word has been spoken and read, that you will now give insight into your holy word so that we, as people who profess love for you, shall be able on the morrow to go forth into the world and live lives that are worthy of the name that we bear as Christians. So, Lord, bless what is said, and bless the thought processes in each person's heart and mind, that the word of God may not only be discerned, but lived. We ask it in our blessed Savior's name. Amen. Nineteenth-century poet William Wordsworth wrote these words, The world is too much with us. Now, I've contemplated those uh, words down through the years, and I affirm what Wordsworth said. The world is too much with us. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said, The things that I would do, I do not, and the very things that I don't want to do, they are the things that I do. Why is that? Because in Paul's case, as well as in our case, your life and my life, the world is too much with us. Objectively, there are things in the world that 
they're, they're there. The world is there, and we can do nothing about it. Uh, just a few weeks ago now, we got the shocking news that uh, a rainstorm had caused a great mudslide down in Santa Barbara. And I remember hearing the news, and I didn't think much of it at the time, but then the worst news began to follow about the people who had been asleep in their beds and the mud covered their houses and covered them. Some of them, I understand, still have not been found. So you see, that is the way the world is. It is too much with us, and there are things out there, objectively, that we can do nothing about. The very recently, a young man went into a school and uh, killed a great number of people. One was too many, but he killed many, many people. Objectively, there is nothing that we can do about that. We can say, oh, that's terrible, and, and our hearts trouble us because of the wickedness that surrounds us in the world, but there's nothing we can do about it. But then subjectively, the world is too much with us because in my life, I have faced great problems problems that I did not have an answer to, and in your life, you have faced great problems that you do, did not have answers to as they occurred. For the believer, we have a resource, the great greatest resource that there is, we have recourse to our God, and we can put our problems before him, and ask him to aid us, and he always answers our prayers. Do you know that? Always he answers our prayers. Now, as a little boy, I used to pray, and I'd say, Lord, we didn't have much money, so if I had a penny in my pocket, I was rich for that day. Ten cents was unbelievable wealth when I was growing up in the Depression, but I would go into a candy store and I would see some candy and I'd think, oh, that would be so wonderful. But I did not have the wherewithal to buy the candy and so I would just look at it. It was there in the world, but I could not afford what the world had to offer. So subjectively, we have problems in our lives that we do not have solutions to. And so we resort to people that uh, have been the same pathway that we are traveling, and perhaps they can help us. Psychologists, psychiatrists, marriage and family counselors, pastors. I'd like to say that, uh, you know, when we run up against problems in our lives, the first recourse should always be the things of the Lord, and that means the first recourse is the church of the living God. Now, we get things backward. When we get sick, our first recourse is backward. 
We head to the doctor and we say, doctor, I, I'm not feeling well. What's wrong with me? I'm not against doctors. God has given us skilled physicians and surgeons for our help and for our health. So don't misunderstand. But our first recourse, Christian friends, brothers and sisters, ought to be the word of God and seeking God's help in our problem. It seems that uh, in the counseling that I have done down through the years that, that, that people use God not as a first recourse but as a last desperate grasp at a solution to whatever it is that they are facing in their life. Why not make him first? And then, after we have made him first, then seek the help that God has provided through these other agencies. So the world is too much with us. Now we come to the text itself, and it is troubling to me. And I will tell you why. Do not love the world. And the, nor the things in the world. The world is so much with us, and it has so many delightful things and so many things that are innocent. We can take them, we can use them, we can enjoy them, and it is all good. And so we are prone to say the world, sometimes we're prone to say the world is a good place. It has so many things to offer, and yet we are instructed here not to love the world. The word that is used in Greek, I'm sure you all know, is agape. That's not the kind of love that Hollywood knows anything about. It's not the kind of love that uh, many people know much about. Because it is a love that requires commitment of oneself to another person or to another thing that is valuable in the person's life. So when we get married, we repeat the vows. And this is supposed to fulfill agape love. And we say to that person, I love you and I commit myself to you for a lifetime or until I don't like your cooking or until you do something that displeases me. And so marriages today very often are built upon the shifting sands of what I like or what I dislike and marriages are in deep trouble. A young waitress that I knew uh, years ago, I asked her one morning, I said, how come you've never been married? Uh, she was, I think, in her mid-30s by that time, and she said, I'm not married. What's the sense of getting married? I said, well, it is the traditional thing to do when you fall in love with someone. And she said, well, I've been in and out of love several times. 
Uh, my parents believed in marriage. In fact, they believed in marriage so much that they were married several times, both of them. Why should I bother to get married? You see, the, the poor girl did not understand that marriage is a commitment. Many people who consider themselves loyal members of the church don't understand that when you become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, it requires commitment. In fact, we don't like that word much today, do we? We don't want to be committed to anything except the pleasure principle. Whatever is pleasurable to me, yeah, sign me up for that. I like that. But if it's not pleasurable, if it's not interesting to us, we don't want to commit to it. I think I am speaking tonight to some of the most faithful people in the world because you're not only faithful to the morning service, you're faithful in the evening also. Uh, you understand that uh, the Sabbath day, we call it Sunday, is the Lord's day. Not for an hour or two hours in the morning, it is the Lord's day all day, every Sunday. So I congratulate you, I love you for it. You are committed to the things of Jesus Christ. Now in that commitment, just as in marriage, we do make mistakes. In fact, I saw Marilyn make a mistake the other day. But <laughs> and in the church, we make mistakes. The leadership of the church is not perfect because they're just the way we are. They are from among us. And their judgments are not always crystal clear in their own minds, and they are not always perfect. But they are the men that God has raised up to direct the affairs of this church. And they are committed to this church. And every one of us needs to get behind that commitment with our own heart commitment to the things of Christ. One of the first things that I do every Sunday morning, and this isn't very spiritual, I know, so don't tell me you're not very spiritual because I already know that. But one of the first things I do is look at the offering from the previous week. You want to hear about that? <laughs> well, you're going to. <laughs> I think that uh, it needs some work to be done on the part of all of us who are committed to God's church and God's work to make sure that there is no lack in the house of God. You know, we, uh, as a congregation, we call men and women into the service of our Lord in this place, and we expect certain things out of them. Can we turn that around and let them expect certain things out of us? And one of the things they should expect out of us, and we should accede to that expectation, 
is the fact that we are going to be committed to the church and committed to see that the church runs decently and in order. You cannot tell me, because I will not believe it, that in a church of this size, with the financial capacity of everyone that is in this church, that we cannot make budget. I don't believe it. It is against what the Lord has in mind for us, and we can and should. Well, enough of that sermon. You get what I mean? We need to be committed to the work of Christ in this place, because this is where God has called us. I was having coffee with some friends recently, and they said, hey, uh, you go to church on Sunday, don't you? I said, uh, yeah, I do, every Sunday. And they said, well, where do you go? I said, well, I go to Grace Baptist Church. Well, they said, look, we're up here in Arroyo Grande. You live over in Grover Beach. Why do you go there? And I said very simply, I hope you understand this, but this is where God has led us to go. So, dear friends, I'm not here by accident. This is where God led Marilyn and yours truly after we prayed about it. And he led us to this place for whatever reason known only to him. But what a blessing it has been to us to be among God's people here. You know, I, I look forward to the Lord's Day. I really do. There, I must confess first, there are mornings when that bed is so nice and warm, and I think, ooh, it would be so nice to sleep in this morning. But there's a higher call. God has called us to get up and get running and get to the church on time. And that's what we try to do because I love the people. Now, I know we, we are all different. I want to be careful how I word this so that I don't offend anyone because it's not my intention to offend, I want to edify, build you up tonight, not offend you. If I want to offend you, that'll come another time, but not, not tonight. <laughs> I am, by nature, a hugger. Sorry about that. I, I cannot help myself. And I know that other people who love the Lord as much or more than I do, are not huggers. They, they are ill at ease with being touched by other human beings. Now, I don't understand that from the inner parts of my being, but I do understand that they have a right to that. So I look forward, dear ones, to hugs. Not only from the women, they're, they're always nice, but from the guys, too. Uh, it's, it's just good for me to have the healing, the, the human healing touch in my life. Now, <clears throat> I know that this can be carried to extremes and has been in church history and 
in many places where uh, hugs have led to something else and then to something else and something unsavory. We're not going to go there. I hug you because I love you. Is there anything wrong with that? No. I love you. My way of expressing love is to hug you. Now, if you are not comfortable with that, just a word in my ear, the good ear. <laughs> Say, I don't appreciate uh, being hugged. I, I don't like it. I hope you won't be offended by it. Just a word like that, and, and I will refrain from hugging you. But once in a while, I slip up, and I even hug people that don't want to be hugged, but not very often. So, um, the world is too much with us, but the church is here to help us to overcome the world. But do not love the world. Well, with so many things out there and with the culture that we have and with the natural instinct that we have to be members of the herd, you know, the, the Bible calls a sheep of his pasture. Well, sheep or flocks or herds. And many people feel very comfortable in fitting in with the world's herd. Now, what's wrong with that? Nothing when the herd is doing the right thing. It's, it's wonderful. But when the herd is going in a bad direction that will lead to destruction, that is the time to say no to the herd and turn in a different direction. When I... I've had a chance recently through books that I've been reading to review my younger life. Yes, there was a time when I was younger, believe it or not. <laughs> and in that review, I have realized that uh, the culture that we now have is completely foreign to the culture that I grew up with. Uh, the culture has made a turn, and I must say, from my perspective, a turn not for the better, but for the worst. Many years ago, in our ministerial council, we were talking about uh, the prospects of uh, drugs being legalized in the United States. All the ministers said, never happen. Can't possibly happen. The people would never stand for that. That was true of the culture in which we lived at that time. It is no longer true for the culture in which we find ourselves now because the herd instinct is beckoning people to use drugs that for many, many generations were out of bounds. You would never use, for instance, marijuana. I want to make this prediction. If the present trend continues, it will not be very long 
before we step out of church and we will be seeing people smoking a joint. And nobody will say anything because it will be part of the internal workings of the culture. That is the direction the culture is going. And uh, people will say at that time, well, that's, that's all right, uh, as long as they don't use the hard stuff. Beloved friends, brothers and sisters, the hard stuff is coming. Just hasn't arrived yet, but it's on the way. Uh, some of it has arrived. The opioid epidemic, millions of people, according to what I've read, are beset with opioid addiction. And when they can no longer get the pills, uh, they turn to the thing that is a substitute, which is heroin. This would have been unheard of in the culture in which I grew up. Yes, there was drug addiction. We had in high school one boy that we heard had smoked marijuana. No one would have anything to do with that young man because he had smoked dope. Now, never mind, they were all out guzzling beer and wine and, you know, all of that. That was already acceptable in the culture, but uh, marijuana was not. Now that's all changed. You will be hard-pressed to find a young man, young woman, who has not at least tried marijuana or thought seriously about trying it. Troublesome, isn't it? But that's only one of the symptoms of a declining culture in which we find ourselves. So John says, do not love the world because if you love the world, it is going to betray you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and immediately we think about sexual things when it says lust or the lust of the flesh, but it goes far beyond that. These are the things that uh, are natural to us that we crave, but in our craving of them, in our lust for them, we take the lust to extremes and we uh, take things into our bodies that we ought not in quantities that we ought not, so that one of the greatest problems in our country is one that uh, most of us fight constantly. It is the problem of overweight, which is a health hazard. Uh, the, the lust for the things, the good things that are in the world. And the lust of the eyes how many people have been betrayed by their eyes because they saw something? And by looking at the commercials on television or the ads in newspapers, we think, I cannot be happy unless I have this particular item. I learned as a young boy that uh, acquiring something that I had to have in order to be happy did not keep me happy very long. Pretty soon I got tired of it and moved on to the next thing. And so it is with the culture in which we live. The lust of the eyes. There is never enough for the lust of the eyes. 
And then the pride, the arrogant pride of life. I know people, and so do you, who when you talk to them about the things of the faith, they will say, I don't need God. If I need him, I'll call on him. But everything I have, I have worked for. And they will give you a litany of how hard they have worked for all that they have. In the lust of the eye and the pride of life, the arrogant pride to say that everything I have, I, me, I'm the one. I have attained it. It belongs to me. No, (laughs) we are all products of what we have been given. Just uh, with a few brain cells, when you were, uh, before you were born, when you were being knit together in your mother's womb, as the 139th Psalm says, when that was occurring, if just a few cells had been changed in the frontal lobe of your brain, you might not even be able to carry on a conversation. You see, we are all products of what we have been given, and the giver of every good and perfect gift is our wonderful Lord who has created us in the first place. So the arrogance to say that what I have is mine, I have a right to it because I have earned it. No, Instead, we take the upward look and we thank the Lord for the things that he has graciously given. Now, in conclusion, the world is passing away. My culture is gone. The present culture is in a steady decline and will be gone. The glories of Rome When you look at pictures of what Rome once was, the majestic city by the Tiber, the greatest city on earth, full of everything appealing to the eye and appealing to the senses of man. Where is it now? Gone. The world is passing away. And... All the things, the things that people seek, the lusts of the world, are passing away also. Now, you might think that's bad news, but it isn't. It is the course of human history which repeats itself again and again and again. Uh, Read Jeremiah, read Isaiah, read Ezekiel, read the prophets, and you will see that what we are experiencing today are the same sort of things that they experienced in their time. It is just history repeating itself. People falling away from God, chasing idols, whatever they might be, but the world is passing away. But here's the good news. He that does the will of God abides forever. So are you doing the will of God? You can check up on yourself, and it's always good to take um, spiritual inventory. 
How much are you involved in doing the will of God? You say, well, I go to church usually on Sunday, unless there's something more important that comes up. <clears throat> no, I don't say that about you, but, you know, that's, that's the story of many people. Doing the will of God takes commitment and it takes discipline. I love the fact that here in our church, we hear a great deal. In fact, we've got it in the church name, Grace. And we hear preaching on the subject of grace constantly. And that is good. It's the way it should be. I wouldn't have it any other way. Grace is so important. But there's something that's, it, there's another pillar there that needs to be emphasized too. And that is the pillar of spiritual discipline. Uh, some people have not arrived uh, at that place of spiritual discipline. And that means to do the things that are inconvenient for the sake of the Lord. I think the pastors uh, of this church would agree with me. And even if they don't, I agree with me. <laughs> They can use all the help and all the encouragement they can get. Now, I want to say that doing the will of the Lord in this place means that we will support the pastoral staff. You know what I wish? I wish that every one of you could be a pastor for what do you think, Benji? Three months? One month? One day? <laughs> However long. I, I wish you could have that experience. A, a friend of mine, uh, when I first knew him, he said, boy, you preachers really have it made. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, uh, you only get up and uh, speak for an hour. Uh, he said, actually, you speak for half an hour, but it only seems like an hour. <clears throat> he said, and then the rest of the week, you've got it off to do whatever you want to do. That's, that's true of Benji. Just the rest of the week, he does what he wants to do. No, no, no. Believe me, there are things, there are, are things that come up in a pastor's life that you would not believe unless you were there. So the next time you are feeling critical of anyone on the ministerial staff, instead of being critical, pray for them because they need it. It is at times a very lonely job. When I was in a pastor, sometimes folks I'll tell you the truth, I felt like a sewer pipe <laughs> because people unload all of their garbage on the pastor and if the pastor is true to his commitment to the Lord, he cannot go home and unload this on his family. He has to take it and present it to the Lord but I will tell you, there is a great uh, price to be paid for this, 
it is a price of anguish. It is a price sometimes of sleepless nights, tossing and turning, when you are mulling again and again the problem that has been presented to you by a person or persons, or maybe it's the church itself that is the problem, and sleep does not come easily. But the world is passing away. But the one who does the will of the Lord will abide forever. So I want to leave you with that thought tonight. Be committed to the church and to God's people who are set as those who have authority in the church. They are not there by accident. I believe every one of them is called by God. Whether they fulfill this call is an entirely different question, but they are called there by God, and they have my support and our support. So pray for them. The world is passing away, but we have a commitment to God and to his church. Let's pray together. Thank you, dear Lord, for your church and for the people that you have called into the church and into this very local church. Thank you for each individual soul. We thank you for our pastors and pastoral staff, and we pray that you will bless them, encourage their hearts, uh, help us to be gospel to them, good news to them. And when we are tempted to be critical, instead of that, Lord, give us the grace, that wonderful word, the grace to be your people and to pray for those that we would have been critical about. Now, Lord, you've been good to us. We pray for Greg that he will recover. We pray for the others that we have mentioned that are sick. Lord, heal them and restore them to our fellowship. Now, Lord, as we go forth, keep us safe under the pinions of your wings. And we give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.